0: Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're right with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have Jesse Nicole B at Jesse Nicole B, aka Jesse the ANCAP with me today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you doing?
0: I'm okay. <laughs> A little bit uh perplexed at what's going on in the world right now. How are you? I mean, as an ANCAP, I probably shouldn't care so much about the election, but are you getting caught up in it?
1: I mean, I I don't so much get caught up in the election itself because I don't believe in it, but I get caught up in people's reactions because, you know, there's the groupthink element, there's the collectivist element, and I think that more so people's reactions of it are troubling, and I think that's what us ANCAPs are mostly focused on.
0: Yeah. Do you have any opinion as to the fraud or any of that stuff, or are you kind of just keeping your head above it?
1: I'm in the wait for more evidence camp. Yeah. I think that uh, libertarians are so used to being right about things that sometimes we tend to jump the gun. Um, so I'm, I'm waiting. I want to see more evidence. I want to read more, do my research, and then I will have a full-fledged opinion.
0: I think that's fair. And I think honestly, we need more of that. We need a little bit cooler heads in this time. My concern is that the media isn't allowing us to discuss this openly. And I think that just creates a fertile ground for increasingly volatile rhetoric. And I just think it's a recipe for disaster, honestly.
1: Oh, absolutely. And then you have calls from the right, who many people in our movement consider to be an ally, to start censoring the platforms themselves as if they're not propped up by you know regulatory capture and all these things that stop platforms from having competition. It's kind of a whole mess where both sides are very, very wrong, <laughs> as usual.
0: As always. Um, <laughs> so uh, we were going to talk a little bit about the differentiators between kind of a, a conservative ANCAP and a progressive. Uh, you lean a little bit more progressive. What what, to that, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, mostly it means to me is um, a lot of people, I think, have their own personal conservative view in MCAT circle, circles, and I think that that's kind of the predominant view as far as what culture should look like, whether or not they believe in enforcing it. I happen to be what a lot of people would call far left, socially speaking. I'm pro gay rights, trans rights. I think if you want to do drugs, fuck it, have fun. And that's, a lot of people say that's not how you should live your life. But I kind of am in the camp of being more tolerant, I think, towards those people just in my own behavior and my own cultural values than I think the majority of mancaps.
0: Have you really found that much pushback from ANCAPS in that regard? It seems yeah. to me. Oh, okay,
1: absolutely. you have. <laughs> yeah, primarily from uh, the, this little term that I have coined called what I like to call Twitter Hoppians. So ah, I yes. love Hans Hermann Hopp. I love Hans Hermann Hopp. I think he's an absolutely brilliant man. I love a lot of his work. However, I think it's oftentimes taken out of context. And I think that those out of context quotes are very frequently weaponized in our little social media space on Liberty Twitter. Um, sure. I think one of the biggest issues there is that people take this term degeneracy that he uses. And that they use to describe culture and they act as if they can be this sort of morality police. My issue with that is that there's no metric for degeneracy. There's no way to measure that. There's no way to say, oh, this is a degenerate act. So it's like, how does that belong in any sort of method of running a society?
0: Well, it seems to me that, I mean, most of the libertarians I run into, I agree they, they are conservative leaning, but I always took it as them applying that to their own decisions and their own lives you find that they are applying that more broadly in a condemning fashion towards society?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I know that the helicopter is a meme, but you know, physical removal is a real concept. And um, I oftentimes do hear them trying to apply it to others. And one of the biggest things is they will argue that any sort of degenerate market activity is illegitimate. But that's where I would argue that, you know, Mises's calculation problem, the very thing that our entire economic philosophy is rooted in would say, well, it's still legitimate market activity, even if it offends you. I'm sorry you had to see a boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I,
0: I haven't ran into those people. They must be seeking you out. Um, but I, I believe you. I I, tot- <laughs> I I mean, I totally believe you. But you also have the the dyed hair and stuff. So that might attract more of the dissenting viewpoints. They probably don't. If you come- look
1: like you're at Antifa, yeah, you're definitely going to pull those people <laughs> out of the room. And I would not get kicked out of a meeting. So.
0: Well, well, I've always taken the, the helicopter meme, or at least in my utilization of it, to be... Uh, specifically targeted towards actual communists that want me dead not not to people that are interested in you know living alternative lifestyles or using drugs like you've you've seen people actually try and use that just for you know Mm -hmm. drugs
1: yeah not not drugs specifically but whatever they consider to be personally a degenerate act which Mm -hmm. if you're talking about your own property sure I don't know why you need a helicopter to get somebody like what an acre I don't know but it's (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a real thing that people say and genuinely mean, and I think that it definitely gives our movement a really, really bad name. I see lots of things like transphobia and homophobia coming from these circles that are supposed to be very live and let live. Mm-hmm. Um, things like pronoun shaming—that's a really big one.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I see again. I, I always find it that when I when I see it or when I do it personally, it's more of a it's a virtue signal shame. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not so much. Particularly if you are trans, I have no issue with you declaring your pronouns. That, that makes perfect sense to me. I think when someone who, like Kamala Harris today, was made famous virally for someone bragging about how she had her pronouns in her bio and how this girl was so proud to have a vice president <laughs> with their pronouns in her bio. And I, and I think that uh, ANCAPs in particular have kind of a knee-jerk reaction to say, this is, I mean, she's a monster. Who gives a fuck if she has her pronouns in her bio? Yeah.
1: Oh, she's uh, the definition of a monster. She's ruined countless lives. Exactly. She's an absolutely evil person, no matter how you boil it down.
0: But but you've seen people actually just saying that, like, we shouldn't respect people's pronouns, or, or I mean, I'm just trying to, like...
1: Yeah, I think what it really is is a knee-jerk to re- reaction to certain calls from the left to put in law that you must respect ah. people's pronouns. So really, it's more about this overarching issue that just because what you call the left has proposed that we act in a certain way through use of force doesn't mean that choosing to act in that way and thinking it's best for society if we act in that way implies the use of force. Yeah. So really it's a matter of separating the like calls for state intervention from the concepts themselves.
0: Well then I, I want to see if you and I disagree at all because I I think we agree, but I'm just want to clarify I don't believe that it should be put into law. I assume you don't, but I should ask.
1: <laughs> I'm an anarchist, absolutely not okay
0: okay. <laughs> well then then I I guess that's where I'm I'm misunderstanding the difference between uh you know conservative and caps and and left-leaning or progressive and caps it's like if we both if if both of us agree it doesn't need to be put into law then it's just a cultural disagreement kind of right
1: well exactly there's not really a difference ideologically speaking it's all purely cultural so it's about I think it's kind of this like next step almost in like the libertarian progression it's like okay I don't think you should make me do that mm-hmm but if I want to do it, that's okay. I feel like it's almost the separation that has to be made. So like when I say progressive ANCAP, that's no ideologically different from a traditional cap. It's just not. But yeah. you're still going to get pushback. You're still going to get people calling you a communist because I say that we should call people whatever they want to be called. And it's so it's more so a cultural issue that exists within our own movement and I think pushes people away from finding our ideas so really there's a greater problem there as far as recruitment where this movement of so many engineers and so few salesmen <laughs> so why should we not find some people who can sell to this other side that maybe before thought our ideas were crazy
0: well autists make great engineers so I'm not surprised we have so many <laughs> of them uh, yeah there are well
1: studies that actually uphold that beyond the memes for whatever it's worth it has to do with bottom-up systems of thinking but Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've read a few studies. It's fascinating stuff.
0: Well, tell, tell me a little bit about that. I haven't heard that.
1: Yeah, so basically there are, I, I wish I could cite this for you. I didn't know we were going to be discussing it, but I'd love to send you some links. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: no problem. We, yeah, we, don't, we don't need in- sources here. This is just freewheeling bullshit.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there's always been this meme that libertarians are have higher rates of autism than other ideological groups but it turns out there's some truth to that because you have to be able to see bottom up ways of basically thinking to see how the system could even function and bottom up styles of thinking tend to be predominant in autistic people. So it's more a correlation than a causation, but you know, maybe there's a little bit of cause in there as well. But yeah, I mean, if if you've read a, of course you have planned chaos by Ludwig von Mises, the entire mm. premise is about this bottom up system of thinking. And right. that's the one disorder that <laughs> almost enforces it.
0: Well, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, um, uh... Kind of a scientific explanation for Why so many engineer types And autists end up in the libertarian Or the ANCAP movement um, I actually met Travis from Twitter uh, At Halloween and he I thought he was joking when he told me He was autistic Because um, he seems fully functioning no No issues whatsoever but uh, then he told me, no, no, I was diagnosed in March. Like, yeah, I'm on the spectrum. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he just kept, he kept joking about it. It was great. He's got a great sense of humor, totally breaks the mold of like any of your preconceived notions of autism. So that was great. That's experience. Beautiful. Yeah. He has yeah, a great I mean, guy. Because of
1: masking and everything. And th- there's so much disinformation about autism too out there. It's well, actually crazy.
0: For sure. And, and it's, there's so many varieties of it. It's, I mean, even if you know a few autistic people, you don't know half of the potential you know, spectrum of it. So, um, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, I've always argued, you know, maybe autistically uh, that <laughs> basically libertarians and ANCAPs derive our belief system almost entirely from a logic, you know, deduction type manner. And and I think that uh, Mises nailed it. And I think that uh, your studies about the autism uh, community <laughs> leaning that direction makes a ton of sense. So
1: yeah. uh,
0: I guess it's it's confirmation bias, but it feels good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No kidding. I, and that, but that is a big thing that's missing though, is those emotional arguments and those moral arguments. Yes. And even though we know that we have it. I don't like to say no, because I don't believe that any idea is infallible. I don't believe that any economist is infallible, mm-hmm. but we know air quotes that we are right morally speaking. So it's a matter of finding emotional ways to, I think, convey those ideas. And I think that communications of these ideas are absolutely key. I mean, uh, you saw my other episode of a show I was on. And so, you know, I work in the film industry. Mm-hmm. And, oh my goodness, the lack of people that are out there actually actively communicating these ideas. It's, it's honestly kind of abysmal.
0: Well, you're saying that our there's ideas so- aren't, aren't being put out into the no, film industry? No, no,
1: no. There's so, there's so few people that agree with us. I mean, just oh, yeah. recently, Chris Pratt's, undefined, ambiguous, but maybe not as liberal as everyone else. ideas were almost canceled. I saw um, yesterday, Katy Perry, the pop artist, she was canceled in her comment section for saying that she was calling her family members that she disagreed with about the election to let them know that she still loves them. And people said, well, you can't do that because by doing that, you're supporting white supremacy. Uh,
0: it's, it's really dark. And I actually had a conversation with my mom yesterday um, she called me after listening to my most recent episode where I kind of did a deep dive into the preliminary, p- preliminary evidence about voter fraud and the potential cover up and all this stuff. And, um, we got into a deep conversation about things and she, she implied that she was strongly considering not inviting my grandma to Thanksgiving. And
1: wow.
0: I was like, I was blown away. And I, I jokingly said, um, well, am I invited? And she says, Well, of course. You're you're on the list no matter what. You're my son. And I said, She's your mom. Like, this shouldn't be a reach. It's the exact same connection that she has to you as you have to me. I'm your son. She's you're her daughter. And and she was still, she was prepared, I think largely because she couldn't handle the the likely gloating that would come from my grandma, who leans more, not more, but significantly leftist and my Mm -hmm. mom, who's kind of a MAGA head, and it's just like, I just can't, I can't even like put into words how, how devastatingly sad that is for someone like me, who just wants politics to be out of my life, and to have like a parent telling my grandparent not to see them on the holidays was mind-blowing, I mean, I talked her off the ledge, I think she's going to invite her, but it's Good. just so sad, you know, do you have any um, familial issues when it comes to politics or you guys stay up?
1: It's a- funny. A- I, with my immediate family, which is who i most, extended family, we have a no politics rule. We don't talk about it. We don't get into it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. In my immediate family, where I have a younger brother, my mother and father, we've always, especially me and my father, talked about politics. And even when we disagreed, the debate's kind of fun. It's just always been that way. We're very much an argumentative family, but it's always very loving. So yeah. I can't really relate. Um, he was going to vote for Jorgensen this year, and then he changed his mind and went with Trump. And then my mom voted Jorgensen. My brother said, fuck it, I'm not voting. And uh, I went I, Jorgensen. I like and- your family already. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, they're fun. It's so funny, too. <laughs> I converted all of them to libertarianism. in, in my life. Oh, nice. guys, <laughs> Good for you. Well,
0: but, oh, uh, I, in fairness, I didn't convert them fully. Uh, I just put, like... The libertarian lean is in everyone in my life at this point.
1: It's so funny when you find a family member's like breaking point where it finally clicks for them too. Mm -hmm. like, I remember I actually mine with my father was very recently, we were on the phone, I want to say two, three weeks ago. And I basically went through this whole rant about how the 2008 financial crisis was the government's fault. And it's like something finally snapped. He's like, wait, the FDIC did what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. They were still subsidizing the loans, dad. <laughs> he just like, yeah. he was like, okay. Uh, he was like, I get it. I get it. No regulations for the banks. I was like, wow, that's a big statement. <laughs> that's so,
0: awesome. like,
1: we're, I think we, we almost might be in an anarchist territory because that's such an extreme example.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think that that's, that's the one silver lining of the shenanigans that I I believe have uh you know, not just existed, but more severely existed over the past week with voting. Is that now the MAGA folks are going to be red pilled extremely? And oh, yeah. you know, well, that's, I mean, it it obviously comes with great potential opportunity, but it also is fraught with existential danger um, mm-hmm. if it becomes a, a violent revolution type scenario. But I do think that that ultimately there's value in people realizing that the system uh the rule of law is a facade. They they ultimately are on their own and and I hope that they take that lesson as opposed to saying to themselves kind of what the left did, which is we don't need less government. We just need our guy in charge of it, you know? And I hope that the conservatives have that realization and they they kind of have a come to Jesus moment where they realize there's no fixing this thing from within. Like we have to create our own new systems, kind of an agorist mentality. I I'm probably being overly optimistic, but I'm sure a handful will do that, so that's good.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, This is something that just started blowing up today, so I'm not fully prepared to speak to it, but um, Tea Party 2 is a big movement that I saw happening on Twitter today, and I do kind of love this idea of a new right that's actually conservative. Am I a conservative in many respects? Eh, but fuck, it's better than anything else we've got. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll take it.
0: Are Are you not fiscally conservative?
1: No, I'm not because these days that's uh that most people take that to also mean protectionist, so that's oh. about no. well, well, uh,
0: in <laughs> fairness, uh, protectionism and you know, yeah, it's not that is not fiscal conservatism, so I, no,
1: it's not, so yeah, I, I want to dissuade by, you from by, that, yeah, by, by connotation, absolutely not, by denotation, kind of
0: okay, so yeah. well, I mean, if you don't believe in a government, you can't possibly believe in like forced. Welfare programs? Can you?
1: Oh God, absolutely not. No, you cannot. Okay. Do not. Okay. No, for it. None
0: <laughs> of it. None of it. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the the progressive, uh, you know, and cap.
1: There's literally no point. difference. There's literally no difference. I just, I think you should do whatever the fuck you want. And my personal views with how I like to spend my time in my life happen to better line up with those of progressives. Yeah. I don't believe it. Yeah, that's it. It's that that's, simple.
0: Well, but I mean. Do they though? I guess that's the one pushback I would have. When you've seen what progressivism has done to that community in terms of kind of radicalizing them, making them call for state violence and state force, Mm -hmm. can you you still see yourself more in them given that that's probably counter to your nature?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I'd be more than happy to address that. It's just more so that I agree with what they're trying to do and not how they're trying to do it.
0: I got you. That's
1: all it is. I don't believe in using the apparatus of the state to achieve any of these things, but But I think what they're trying to achieve is inherently good.
0: Okay. Well, so when, hmm, I guess that that would be one area of pushback for me again. I I don't think that their goal of equality is actually good because it is an impossibility. Not
1: equality. That's not progressivism. That's leftism.
0: Okay. Well, they, it's, It's commingling at this point, so.
1: Yeah, no, so I should, I should, um, if you don't mind, I have like a very specific view on these terms that we're kind of throwing around. So most people say left libertarian, right libertarian, authoritarian statism, and they're always referring to this super fun square Nolan chart that's been popularized. This doesn't exist. (laughs) This down here doesn't exist. The whole thing that's been popularized is off by 45 degrees. You've got freedom, you've got statism, and that's it in my book. Okay. So you're working with that. And then progressivism, I just like to put right over here in this fun little sliding scale. Has nothing to do with the state, has nothing to do with what the state should be doing, policy, any of it. This is, what do I want to do with my life? What do I think is ideal for society, whether or not I'm enforcing it onto others? Progressive, traditional. Just kind of over here, then the rest you've got this. You look pretty
0: pretty young. How have you gotten this so ironed out?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 24 as of uh, a few weeks ago. Honestly, I, I had a weird experience where I declared myself an anarchist when I was, like, a child. <laughs> so, I like, I grew up very, very You're rebellious. definitely
0: on the spectrum. <laughs> who, who declares themselves? I mean, unless you were just doing it like a kid where you fucking ride it on your backpack with the red on the black. I will, backpack, you know? I
1: will neither confirm nor deny my <laughs> autistic status. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't mean it derogatorily, obviously. I, oh, I,
1: no. Some of my absolute favorite people in the world are, like, very autistic. I, yeah. yeah. It's great. We're, <laughs> we're peak individualists here. We're not going to judge. But. Well,
0: I, there's been one uh, really common thread amongst all my guests. so Not all, but most of my guests so far, is that we all had really young, um, for, like forceful pushback against authority in general. Do you think that there's... Is it nature or nurture? Like, is there a genetic disposition yeah. that leads us down this path so young because I was the same way like I've had multiple guests including myself that have said that we refuse to stand for the pledge of allegiance like what the oh, fuck? Yeah,
1: that? that. I'm not pledging myself to the state.
0: I know I know but I mean most of us did it before we even had the the concept yeah. of libertarianism or anarchism in our minds we just we like instinctually knew that it was wrong. It's a, it's a really fascinating thing that's a, a common thread. It is
1: fascinating. And I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but it's I, I just thought of something that you might enjoy. It's interesting. So we as adult libertarians fight against the state because it's a monopoly on force. When you're a child, almost all authority that you're presented with is a monopoly on force. You're this small little thing that literally has to listen. Mm-hmm. So it's actually kind of fascinating that us rebellious types were literally fighting a monopoly on force before we knew that as an adult, that just means the government.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it never goes away. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it becomes more serious because then you have to pay taxes and you can be put in jail if you don't. So um, it's just so weird. Like I yeah. many, many kids have no, they're, they're totally fine. Like the teacher's pet kind. I like, I, I wish I could have a study where I figured out, like, does the teacher's pet go on to be like a raging, you know, leftist government worker? And do all the people who refuse to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance end up being fucking caps? Like it's such a it's such an interesting correlation. I'm sure there's I mean, some if
1: it's a public school, probably far left.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Did you not go to public school?
1: Oh no, I did.
0: Okay. Yeah. Me too.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So what would you say? What was your uh, your early foray into anarchism? Oh
1: yeah. So I declared myself an anarchist as a child because I didn't like the rules at my school. Okay. Um, yeah. And this is, this is yeah secondhand telling from my. Poor mother. Um, I don't remember this personally. According to her, yes, I declared myself an anarchist as like a tiny, tiny, like toddler child. I was like, no, no, I'm not listening. I'm an anarchist. I don't know where I found that word.
0: And (laughs) And it stuck. Unbelievable. Yeah.
1: And then I like hit middle school and I was like, no, I still don't believe in any of this. And at that point, I started to get interested in like what was happening outside of my little child world. So I started following current events and I was like, well, this is all bullshit. Finally, I hit high school. I took AP Econ, and I was like, "Holy shit, I'm in love! I found it! I finally figured out how to get rid of the government. It's capitalism."
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow! So they actually taught you capitalism and econ. It seemed to me that they weren't teaching that much oh, when I was there.
1: No, 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 no. They gave me the seed I needed to go Google Murray Rothbard. That's oh, what. Happened. <laughs> dude, see,
0: that's the that's the one advantage that the younger generation like yourself had. Like, the, for me, I'm so old that the internet was you know shit when I was a kid, and um, you know there was no. Google. There was no going and Googling Murray Rothbard. So I was still kind of at the mercy of my state indoctrination. And, um, much of my pushback came from either some books that I had, um, or just kind of an instinctual bullshit detector where I was like, "This," <laughs> I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like you can't, uh, you know, Keynesianism doesn't make sense. Logically. You can't print money and, you know, borrow to smooth out, uh, Recessions and then you know yeah. stop it when it when it when it's over and like all of this stuff just like lo- basically I was like logically Rothbardying myself it was very very odd and I only like that's that's why it was so weird when I finally found all the literature like the actual underpinnings for the things I had already instinctually believed it was weird I feel like had I came before Rothbard I might have like actually been one of the Underpinnings of the, you know, the theoretical libertarianism. I know that sounds very narcissistic, so don't take it. No, no, not
1: at all. It's interesting.
0: But I'm just saying that, like, I feel like I had it in me before I I knew anything, and I think a lot of people that you know go down this path feel the same way. So, and clearly you did too, since you were a little anarchist baby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's it's a benefit, and I think it's a benefit, and it's bad, like, to have the internet at your disposal when you're like. What, whether what you want is really just the process of getting there has gotten both easier and more difficult because the entire culture war is winning for this idea of socialism right now. It's true. Uh, the, these studies have been done. Um, I think Pew Research Center, I want to say, put one out. Um, I think Heritage put one out. I might be, don't quote me on that though. Where basically over 50% of my generation, I was born in 96 on the first year of Generation Z, doesn't believe in capitalism. Mm-hmm and i think that because we have the majority of kind of the thought space and the communication space in like our little places where we go such as like tiktoks a great example we're all just feeding each other this feedback loop of socialism works capitalism's evil eat the rich jeff bezos whatever mm-hmm. and so it's so hard to not get caught up in that feedback loop and i swear i probably missed it by just a year or two wow
0: so you think it came came around right after you then
1: I- so um, I, I definitely argue that I'm still Gen Z. I mean, tons of market research has shown this just based on when Gen X ended and um, most of it has to do with parenting styles. And as far as like how well you remember 9-11, how well you remember the financial crisis, there's other factors. But yes, technologically speaking, I do think I just missed that little mini revolution that really pushed leftism towards winning the culture war, at least uh, for now.
0: Well, they are kicking our fucking ass in that regard. Um, <laughs> I know. I think that's what's interesting about about your outlook is that You're still managing to, um, align yourself with some of these people, at least in terms of goal setting. And I think a lot of the older generation, I'll just speak for myself, I struggled to do it because anytime I see a group of people that want me dead, uh, I instinctively categorize them as my enemy, you know? And it's like, well, while I agree that like alleviating, uh, childhood poverty and getting, uh, Better opportunities for people of of different classes and different skin tones and everything else is like that's a, a net positive and I I want that for my society. It's tough to make that a focal point of my day to day conversation because ultimately I'm I'm then in some way appealing to this group that doesn't they don't want me to be breathing. So it's like yeah. I it it really creates a uh, an alienated divisive atmosphere and I don't I don't know how. Uh, what, do you have any opinion on how we fix that? How, how we get ANCAPs to, to reach out to the more progressives and try and you know, convince them that socialism is ultimately not going to benefit them?
1: Listening, that's yeah. my number one. And I'm so guilty, I talk so much. I talk so <laughs> much, I never shut up. But oh my gosh, if you just can just get yourself to just sit there and let them do their little rant first and say, oh, you know, that's a really interesting point. Here's how I think of it instead. Rather than just having a knee-jerk reaction of, oh my God, you idiot, haven't you read Mises? (laughs) It makes a world of difference. And that's just in your day-to-day conversations though, messaging wise, I think that the key is empathy. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really what it is, is being able to show in our messaging, no, we don't hate the poor, we just see a different way to get them out of poverty. Exactly. Um, Yeah, like, so uh, I think I mentioned I work in film, I'm over at Emergent Order, John Popola's company. Mm -hmm. We did a feature film called The Pursuit, featuring Arthur Brooks, and it's, not to brag too much, but I think it's one of the most empathetic, pro-capitalism takes I've seen in modern media in a long time. It's basically a feature film where Arthur Brooks goes around the world trying to figure out, does capitalism really make the world better? And the conclusion is yes, it lifts people out of poverty, makes the world a better place to live in. It is best for everybody. You know, Arthur Brooks, um, he was formerly at the American Enterprise Institute. He's currently at Harvard. Mm -hmm. He just has this way of talking to people in the interviews that I think uh, we should all try to emulate in our own conversations where he's a great listener. Mm-hmm. He'll sit and you'll listen to this protester. He's like, and the protester saying, you know, oh no, well, not everybody can start a business under capitalism and this and that. And he's like, well, actually, cronyism is the antithesis of capitalism. Right. And so I think we can all learn a few lessons from figures like Arthur.
0: I think that's a great point. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm I'm actually really good about that person to person or, you know, even in a group setting, it's the internet setting that, that creates an atmosphere where it's like, I would just, I would rather just embarrass them. <laughs> and I know that's not I know that's not a good instinct to have, but you just you interact with so many people they're all faceless, they're all nameless more or less and you're just like, well I don't I don't need to spend any time on this particularly when um, the biggest the biggest issue I have particularly with internet Marxists is that you know they will they will find any evidence that you actually present them that counters their belief system as corporate propaganda like they they will, automatically assume that any any counter evidence to their belief system is just propaganda and there's no point in them digesting it or reading it or taking it for any consideration whatsoever so uh, you know ultimately I I feel like some of those people are unreachable I think that the more important thing is when you find someone who's on the left that is actually asking questions those are the people you shouldn't be crushing like when when they seem to be having a smidge of doubt, you know, like anybody, I, that's, that's really how it goes for me with anybody. If you're, if you're a conservative, same deal. Like if you're a, a MAGA person, same deal. I, I try and be friendly. If it seems as if you aren't already in your glass cage of emotion, like <laughs> then I'll, then I'll talk to you.
1: Yeah, no, I have two comments on that front, a uh, short anecdote real quick. I, uh, I won't say too specifically, but I did have a family member that accused me of being a real life corporate show. Because I was arguing against Bernie Sanders to this family member after having done oh a Charles Koch Institute fellowship.
0: Oh my God. So they thought Apparently, you
1: were <laughs> I was shilling for Charles Koch because I did a media and journalism fellowship for a year. <laughs> so and I don't like Bernie Sanders.
0: Did you did you show him your bank account so you could prove that you weren't getting that that hot oil money?
1: I I did not. I just said, <laughs> we'll talk later. We'll talk later. You have a great night. <laughs> no, um, as far as the internet debates thing goes, though, I mean, honestly, the most powerful tool I've found, DMs. Mm. Take the audience element out of it so that you're yes. not embarrassing anybody when you want to argue for these things. Right. If somebody is absolutely beyond belief, and I think that maybe some of my followers could use a laugh, sure, or I'll retweet it. But really, if somebody seems malleable or, or at least open-minded, I'm like, hey, you know what? The character limit, it's always a great excuse, the character limit is really, really bothering me on this. Why don't I DM you some resources?
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. So,
1: done. Yeah, and uh, that's actually a great one for minarchists especially because, God, does our little circle of ideologies hate being wrong even more than the communists sometimes. (laughs) Well,
0: That's the funny thing because I I don't have any major disagreements um, personally with minarchists or, or ANCAPs because it's like, I feel like they both believe the same thing. They just believe it at a different time. Like like the, the anarchist is like, well, yeah, anarchism would probably be best, but like, I don't think it's practical. And I think that's a fair, that's a fair counter argument. Like, I don't think we're going to get there. And yep. I mean, based off of the trajectory of our government, I think that's a really reasonable uh, outlook to have. Um yeah, so, so I, I try not to destroy any of those people. I try not to oh, really go no, hard never, on them at never. all. Yeah, yeah they're but, they're
1: definitely allies. Anything that close, you almost have to consider an ally. Yeah, Although yeah. I do get shit from some agorists sometimes for uh, yes. living in a city, but
0: Oh yeah. And then the 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 shaming for voting, all that stuff is just like I I don't understand why you would go ham on people who are like First and foremost, if you're an Ancap and you don't believe in voting, you already know that the single vote doesn't matter. So why the fuck do you care? Just let yeah. them live their lives, man. Like yeah, I like I, I agree. I, it's you, you don't have to do it, but like if they do, let them live, man. It's okay.
1: Yeah. I am um, I get a lot of shit because I personally enjoy protest voting on principle. And here's the thing, it's for the worst reason. I just think it's kind of funny. Like I do it solely <laughs> to make myself laugh. I vote for my own just comedic relief in in <laughs> I can't believe I'm admitting this. Um, in the primaries-
0: <laughs> You voted year, for Kanye, I, I know.
1: No, no, no. In the primaries, I voted for Bill Wells, oh. who I don't even like, for oh. the Republican nominee, solely because I thought it was funny. I laughed for like an <laughs> hour and five. And then afterwards, I put on my little I voted sticker, and I went back to the office, and I sat there at my desk just like, that well, was fucking hilarious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I know why you were on Freckles and Brit show, because Brit, Brit just- you know, laughed herself all the way to the bank <laughs> with that with that 2016 yeah, that so Hillary good. Clinton vote.
1: <laughs> I love that. Although I'm all for Kanye 2024, I'm all in. I think it'd be hilarious.
0: Me too. I'm, I'm a so huge old. fan. I'm a oh, huge yeah. fan. I'm
1: waiting for the t-shirts to stock up. I want one of the shirts and the hat and the whole thing.
0: You want to talk about someone who's got empathy. That dude, that dude seems like he's genuinely changed. He went from just right? a... Yeah, he just went from like a raging narcissist to kind of like an empath and he's like all about Jesus. I mean, he's still a narcissist. He's, he can't lose that. I mean, he believes that God speaks to him and that he's meant to be the leader of the free world. He's a massive narcissist, but it's still like now it's now it has the spirit of it is not about self aggrandizement and self um, benefit as much as it, as it is a belief that he could actually be better for humanity. And I think, you know, well, well, a person like that can make for a really dangerous leader. He can also make for a really uh, special one. So, I, I yeah. honestly, like it. It took everything in me not to vote for him this time. I was really close. Yeah. Did you, yeah. did you watch him on Rogan? Just out of curiosity.
1: Not yet. It's so high up on my list. I'm super behind on Rogan. I okay. Know. I know. Bad no, it's
0: okay. <laughs> well, no, no, it's fine. I, I just, I think it'll be interesting to see what you think afterwards. Like, he's got a ton of terrible ideas. So let me, oh, yeah. let me preface it.
1: Word.
0: Yeah, let me preface it with that. But I just. <clears throat> the fact that he was willing to um like slow down and take his time and think about how he was going to answer what he'll do about military interventionism and and defense of the nation i was like this is the first time i've heard a candidate actually take time for the most important issue like what yeah. would i do if i was if it was obligatory that i go kill people and he actually was like You could see in him that he was, like, having an emotional reaction to it. And I was like, that's all I want. I want a fucking president who, if he's going to drone bomb someone, he sheds a tear first, you know? Like, give me that, please.
1: Yeah. No, I I agree with that. And he's also big on my... I have two biggest issues. Obviously, military intervention is a huge one. And uh, criminal justice reform. Yes. Yeah. We are literally letting so many people just run away in this country. And him and Kim Kardashian have done more for criminal justice reform than just about any actual politician in the last decade. Oh yeah, I mean, we actually um, just worked on a video with the organization Taking Action for Good. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but Mm -hmm. they are basically a criminal justice reform nonprofit run by Alice Johnson, who is the individual that Kim Kardashian West worked to get out of prison under Trump's pardon. Okay. So she now runs an organization where they essentially take other people with stories similar to hers where they're put behind bars for these just really archaic, ridiculous laws and like for things like trial penance and all these things are just horribly, horrifically unfair. And she tries to get them out. And thank goodness the last video we did with them actually we did get a couple people out of prison after Trump saw the video. So awesome on that front. But um I mean, like it's so crazy because you look at it, Kim Kardashian kind of sorted all of that. I know. And now we've gotten Curtis McDonald out too. It's yep. like all of this goes back to Kim Kardashian, of all people. I, know. I mean, if she's the first lady from a CGI perspective, shit, I can get behind that.
0: Hell yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> like, that's why. That's why. Even though people think that, like Kanye, uh, we were gonna meme him into existence. Like, it was all just a big LOL joke. Um, I...
1: <laughs> what was meme into existence?
0: What's that? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, exactly. It can he was, work. He was pepe'd into existence. Yeah. No, I I agree, and and I I really, I I think those for me too. Like, even though. Um, I I value fiscal sanity and budgetary constraint because I identify the fact that like that, that will lead to our economic ruin, which will create all sorts of death and destruction and slavery and all sorts of things. Like that's more of a long-term risk, the more imminent risk, the two top things that I'm concerned with the war on drugs or just broadly criminal justice reform, but first and foremost, uh, the military interventionism and I'm not a vet or anything. I just, I just think it's so blatantly the most immoral and, You know criminally egregious thing that we Allow to continue and it's Been nonstop and it's been Bipartisan my entire fucking life And I don't know I mean I think That's probably why I'm so Antagonistic towards the left now Because at least with the conservatives They used to give me lip service about um, Spending And taxes and things like that and they still Give me some tax cuts here And there the left now Now no longer provides me Anything they don't they don't you know, fight against any wars. They are super pro it. They never talk about it whatsoever. If anything, they've they want more. And it's just like, do you have any? Do you have any opinion as to? I mean, this is your generation that I'm kind of speaking of. Um, do you have any opinion as to how or why they don't care? Is it just because it's been happening yeah. so long?
1: No, it's because it's not in their ears every day. We kind of grew up in this generation of our phones really owning us. And I think that us being the first generation that's been constantly raised on these devices, I think that they have a significant amount of control, honest to God, over how we think about everything from politics to how like our interpersonal relationships, it's all contained on this little supercomputer that lives Mm. in my pocket. And so I think that it's just a matter of the information being thrown at them. And I honest to God, just think they're misguided. I really think that's what it is. If you're given a certain narrative for 24 hours a day and that same narrative exists on all of your platforms, each of which is fighting over your attention because your data is really the value creator in that relationship. It's just going to drown out any sort of rational thought and that breeds the same group think that perpetuates the same incorrect series of ideas. Right. So I really think it's a matter of all of us kind of being advocates for our ideas in our day-to-day relationships, especially if you are a libertarian under 30, I beg of you, be nice to your liberal friends and listen to them. Like slowly and steadily, listen to them and explain to them why it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's really, what it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I did that all through my twenties and now into my thirties, and I've converted, you know, probably twenty people in my life. Uh, not That's to more mention than most
1: people can say. Yeah, not Absolutely. to mention how,
0: however many people are listening to the show. I know I had a listener call in yesterday. I, I had a, a buddy sit down about a month ago. Um, it was the episode was called "Converting a Nonbeliever," and he was a guy who was on the fence. A uh, former military vet, and I just had had him sit here in my office right next to me for an hour and a half, and I just answered all of his questions that he would have about like why libertarianism wasn't practical, and I just answered them. And by the end of it, he was like, "You know what? I think the next time someone asks me how I how I lean politically, I'm going to tell them libertarian." And I was like, "Rock on!" And then I had a, a listener uh, DM me saying, "Hey man, I just popped you in in the uh, a car ride." Force-fed you to my my wife, and I think I think you just converted her. So that episode converted two people. Like even though it was only one person on the show, it's very cool. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I agree with you. That's really important, and and having patience, having kindness, maintaining empathy, understanding that like not everyone's at the same point in their life and the and the same uh, level on the path as you may be, and that doesn't make them bad. Um, I just wonder, you know, a little bit of pushback to the idea of a, of it just being part of our bubble. The left largely dominates our media circle um so how do you excuse the fact that the left chooses to make the bubble not anti-war you know what i'm saying yeah
1: there's absolutely no excuse i really just think it's a matter of that's not something that's top of mind for them because all these other menial day-to-day issues are pushed into that same bubble Mm -hmm. and it's like self-propelling you know Your little sphere has the same inputs and the same outputs that go back in because they're in an echo chamber. Honest to God. I mean, and we were just talking earlier about people stopping talking to relatives that disagree with them. If you build your echo chamber too strongly with too thick of walls, of course, you're going to end up not talking about issues that break your narrative. That's just how it goes. So, you know, to that, I would just say uh, we need more libertarians in media. Yeah. It's really what it is. We need more of us. And we need those of us that are in this space to write things with an empathetic mindset that can pull people in. In fact, we had, uh, The Pursuit was listed on Variety is like a massively left-leaning publication. They had listed us though in their uh, favorite 10 documentaries on Netflix right now. Wow. Because it's not overtly conservative.
0: Oh well, if it's on Netflix, I'm watching it tonight. I, I wrote it down because I thought not it might anymore. be. Not
1: anymore. It's oh. on. I think we're we're on Apple TV still. And we're on Amazon Prime. I think it's going to cost you two ninety nine, but I'm inclined to say it's worth it.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, I, I understand <laughs> why. Uh. Well, I'm I'm a fan of capitalism. I will send my money that way. It's no problem. Um. But yeah, I just think it's interesting that that the leftist bubble has. I mean. I, I guess my issue is I agree with you. We need more libertarians involved in media production, which obviously you and you and I are both kind of in that. Um, I don't I don't know how we break into the mainstream, given that there's now this environment of cancel culture, where like if you if you dissent, your persona non grata. Do you have any opinion as to like if that if that will shift back at any point or? do we just have to go independent and there's no other options for the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, so um, I think it's a few things. I think if you can water down your content and make it very, very subtly libertarian, yeah, you can absolutely break into the mainstream. I think that a, mostly a political person could even watch the pursuit and say, that was totally unbiased, which for the record, it was. Arthur is very good at getting rid of his biases when he goes into a situation. But I think that most people would even look at the inclusion and say, that was very fair. Um, we do things like the, um, we do the economics rap battles over at emergent order. Um, and every single time that they're written, you know, John goes in and he says, you know, I want to give Marx justice in this. It's Mises versus Marx. We read so many Marx books going into that. We'd have these little powwows with everybody. We'd all read a Marx book and somebody would read a Mises book. And it was real well researched and we represented him to the best of our abilities. So it's a matter of, I think, giving the opposition their voice in your media and even if they're wrong, at the end of the day, properly showing why, yes. <laughs> rather than I, just saying no, it's wrong.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's hugely important, and I think we're the one ideology that is that can get away with that because because yeah. we actually have, in in my view, we have truth and moral justice on our side. Is that <laughs> we can we can actually portray their belief system in its in its most you know, um, I don't know, just like in its best possible version of it. Um, and then and then crush it, you know, with reality. <laughs> and, yes. and so, so yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, it's a great I, a th-
1: approach messaging-wise. And then I also wanted to speak to cancel culture since you brought that up. Yes. I have a weird take on this.
0: Oh, then I'm super interested because I, I have a psychotic take on it.
1: Oh, me too. Great. It doesn't exist.
0: Oh, you. Don't you dare.
1: You can only be canceled if you let yourself be canceled. Guess who's still getting work? Chris Pratt he didn't acknowledge it he didn't force an apology he didn't say anything he's a genuinely good person who maybe disagrees with people on politics and he just never addressed it and that's it you can only be canceled. and you know there are so many like youtubers and artists and all these people that bill burr bill burr's a great one guess who's not canceled bill burr guess who says some debatably offensive shit bill burr if you go far enough over the line you can't be canceled if you refuse to acknowledge it you can't be canceled it's all a matter of whether or not you cave
0: well, I think I think that's an interesting point. I, I there's got to be an example of someone who didn't apologize and still got canceled. There's not.
1: I can't think of one.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, then I'm going to boil it down to: What do you think about Louis C.K.'s indiscretion, and should he have uh, apologized? Should he should he be given uh, clemency?
1: You are really putting me on the spot here. I know uh, be,
0: I- because because I I knew this would be a tough one for you.
1: It's a tough one because actually sexual harassment in Indigent is an issue that I personally am very passionate about. Actually, specifically within the liberty space as well. But, I know.
0: Um, I, need, I need names. I keep having girls on my show that tell me there's dudes that are being uh, sexually assaulty. And I, and I can't get yeah. anyone to tell me who the fuck it is so I can handle let it. Me,
1: let me say this. Um, it's a massive problem. And you have to be strategic about how you address it because we don't want to tarnish these ideas. There are multiple people that I know of that are real problems in the movement. And I think it's just a matter of handling it smartly so as to not disparage these ideas and to just make sure to keep other women safe in the process too, because if you out somebody and some other woman has spoken about it and not named a name, well now you could be putting her job in danger because her story is now associated with your story and you named a name, and it's really a matter of just strategizing and handling it as intelligently as possible. But yeah, it's absolutely a massive issue.
0: I feel like I feel like all the Lady Liberty folks have like their, their group DMs and they're all bouncing these names around and none of the guys are privy. And it drives me crazy because as one of the guys who is certainly uh, now recently single and definitely willing to mingle, I also do not, uh, you know, Sexually assault or do anything creepy like that. So it's you really
1: see how easy that is.
0: I know, right? It's really <laughs> it's it's really offensive to me that that these guys get away with it, and I really would like to know who they are so I could fucking destroy them. Um, but anyway, oh,
1: I'm working on it.
0: Okay, good. Uh, <laughs>
1: there's, years think, of, how, there's
0: How do how do you? Of how, us on it. What say again?
1: There's plenty of us working on it.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. How can you give me some hint, not as to the person, but to the tactic that can that you can address this without? destroying the ideology?
1: I absolutely can. If you are, and I'm now going to, you know, I'm addressing your audience directly here for a second. If you are a woman in the Liberty movement and a man of a higher position in Liberty uses professional tactics to try to get you alone, don't go alone. If he gives you even a slightly off vibe, do not go alone with them even if it's under the guise of professional reason, especially somewhere where you know there are literally no witnesses. Do not let yourself be cornered. And if something happens, DM me.
0: Well, that's good, good advice. I was saying more, how can we, I mean, not obviously we, we want to stop it, but I, I would like to extricate these guys from the movement. Is there any yeah. hope of doing that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really a matter of donors. I think that that's what's really at the base of it. Um, all of those you're saying organizations- these
0: guys are actual candidates
1: uh, <laughs> I if they have donors I don't, know. I don't have any personal experience with any candidates that are problems
0: okay well uh- but
1: nonprofit organizations have donors candidates have donors okay. movies have donors there's lots of things that have donors
0: okay well yeah. let me let me just go on the record as saying if you're in the libertarian community and cap community whatever if you're a dude out there and you're an incel, and you're struggling, and you're fucking being sexually assaulty. Uh, please reach out to me, and I will break your legs. Um, Love
1: that. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. I won't. I won't uh, violate you physically, but uh, I will definitely talk you into another way of handling things. Because it's it's really pathetic. It's really dangerous. It does it does the ideology a disservice, and it's immoral and it's evil. And just stop it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I'm very, I'm very disappointed to hear that. I've heard it from a few girls that I'm close with, and unfortunately, I think they all know that I'm crazy enough to hunt these people down. So no one will tell me who. Um, but let this be a warning. You need to stop.
1: So and that being said, too, I think that part of the reason it became a problem is because of that same thing we were talking about earlier, where we have this extreme reaction to anything that comes off as progressive, because oh, don't you need the state to enforce that? and i think we have a huge problem culturally within our movement dealing with gender.
0: Yes. Well that, think- that and the yeah. me too, the me too stuff too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, which is crazy because the me too movement was a market driven movement. 90% of it was market driven. Mm-hmm. I stand by that. I think that the me too movement me too movement was one of the greatest things to ever come from the cultural free market of ideas, honest to god.
0: Well, i i think i agree with you largely. I think that the issue the only issue i have with it is that it, it? got it. In my opinion, it then it got into the point like the gray area where it was like, yeah. like the the uh what's his name? Not male. Yes, Aziz Ansari. Like she had sex with the dude, regretted it the next day, and then was like, you know, kind of tried to ruin his career over it. And it just seemed like, um, I don't know, from from a a libertarian perspective, where like obviously we believe in consent. Like that's a given. We don't believe in, uh, rape or what's that? I said it should be. Well, yeah, no, uh, excuse me. It should be. Apparently it's, it's not, it's not with all apparently, but, um, I just think that there are some aspects where they, they go too far. Like they make it so that like you need to you know, have consent each step of the way. As you're like, uh, you kiss her once, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna go back for another kiss." It's like it just got to a point where it was a little bit weird, especially with the Louis C.K. stuff. He was like, he was asking the girls if he could jerk off, and then people were like, "Well, but he was famous, so like he can't ask them because then he has power." It's like, well, then how can he ever date? I don't know. But then there's like the egregious shit, like actual rape, um, where it should be definitive, and it just kind of all blurred together. Where like if you were if you were caught up in the Me Too mo- uh, moment many, many decent people were tarnished just as much as the really, really evil out there. And I think that there needs to, I mean, it's in fairness, though, it is a new movement. So like, I'm sure
1: it's a new movement. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak to any specific cases, but I would argue that it has had an overall significantly net positive on culture.
0: I, I think it has too. I think that on the whole net, it is positive. I am concerned a little bit about um, everything I just said, so I won't. I won't yeah, recap no, it. But... And those
1: are absolutely valid concerns, and you know I'm not going to pretend they don't exist. Um, so it's like we have to figure out where that line exists as a society, and our movement needs to be willing to acknowledge that, be able yeah. to acknowledge that there are cultural problems, and that we are not infallible.
0: Yes. Yeah. We're and, not
1: and... We're not immune to these problems, and I think that we just need to be like more introspective and be willing to address these things without calling for state intervention.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes,
1: God. It's that hidden assumption when I say, hey guys, maybe you should talk about and treat women a little bit better. And everybody's like, ah, oh, statist. I'm like when did I say that? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying we should tax men. Like, what is happening? See, I'm just suggesting that uh, you don't call me a bitch on Twitter. Like what is
0: this? <laughs> yeah, well I think I think that all it all boils back down to the the original point I had that like we are now on an enemy footing. You know, it's like if if that concept is paired with You know, actual Marxism, then we're just going to have a knee-jerk reaction to be like, "Fuck these people, they're psychos." We already know they're crazy, so I'm not going to believe any of this stuff. Um, They think that capitalism is evil and that they're slaves. Like they're crazy people. Um, So you have to Mm -hmm. be able to separate the the idea from the purveyor of it. So I I think that's an important lesson, and I'm glad I'm glad that I think that we're getting away a little bit from. For a while there, it was kind of a witch hunt where it was just like. Every, every single famous person was kind of getting dragged for even minor shit. And now I hope that we can go back to doing it, but only doing it for the most egregious actors and, and trying to let a defense be held. Because I think that was the other thing that I was most concerned by It is that there was never a real opportunity for the guys to defend themselves. It was just like, he has an accusation and this movie contract was canceled. And it's like, damn, that's, that's pretty harsh because these guys are really famous and these people could be extorting them for money. Like, we don't know. Um, obviously there's examples where the guys were really fucking evil and they deserved exactly what they got, but it's just like, I don't know. I don't even know, I'm just going in circles here. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, it's totally understandable. I think that they're absolutely valid concerns. I, uh, I just really, really like looking at the market elements of what happened here with the Me Too movement. And again, net positive. Yeah. That doesn't get rid of the concerns at all. But I mean, hell, if we can get Harvey Weinstein the fuck out of there, I'm pretty happy with how things have gone. <laughs> oh no, I
0: yeah, no, I agree. And that's that's what I'm saying. There, you yeah. know, on the whole, it wasn't that positive. And I think
1: we I think we will find the line. You know, I, I think of these cultural issues kind of as a free market. You know, it's a market of ideas about how we should best run things. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, at the end of the day, the best is gonna win, hopefully. In well, theory. I,
0: I think that's an interesting point, especially given what's happening with the kind of balkanization of ideologies and uh, and social media platforms where it's like you can now be banned for pretty much any right wing counter intuitive thought and the left is kind of like given safe haven. Like Joe Biden announced a hundred different ways before the election was even called that he was the winner, got no sort of warnings on his tweets. <laughs> Trump puts out the same similar shit and he gets warnings. Um, this to me doesn't seem to be market driven. Like it seems to be ideal. No, it's, not.
1: it's not because it's upheld by these platforms and these platforms are upheld by lack of competition that comes in from regulatory capture that keeps competitive social media markets out of the space. If we had a parlor that was actually good, I mean, hell, we could go there and talk about whatever we wanted. And we've had other attempts at these social media platforms too. What's it called? Jordan Peterson's site, ThinkSpot came around, but because he's got the reputation he's got, it became a cesspool too of either far-right ridiculous shit and or stuff that was so highfalutin academic that nobody else wanted to get on and read it because it came off as pretentious. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of another site hasn't come along that's done it right and has become a significant competitor. And all of that just has to do with the state apparatus that's holding these big tech companies. Yeah. So really at the end of the day, the state is still to blame for the fact that this certain narrative is being pushed, whether it's a very intentional effort on their part or whether it's just a matter of, hey, let's get some more money from Google. It's-
0: I, I think that's definitely true. I just think it's interesting that these publicly traded companies are willing to you know, basically commit, I think it's called Harikari, whatever, where they, you know, or sepuku, like they they are willing to kill themselves on their own. Uh, philosophical principles in some ways I admire it in some ways I think that it's psychotic and deluded and you know kind of a megalomaniac behavior to to craft your your social media site to you know alienate people that you disagree with politically I just think that there's it's such a dangerous precedent I think that ultimately it creates smaller and smaller Bubbles of thought, as opposed to us all duking it out in this one platform. Where well, it's we can... so
1: important is those small bubbles become extremist very, very quickly. It's like people will see these horrible things and be like, "Oh my God, what happened there?" And I'm like, "They were never told they were wrong."
0: Yes, I mean, <laughs> you well, need
1: to have these discussions. Oh yeah, and that's been psychologically proven time and time again. It's almost not even worth digging into. Yeah, the extremists always come from the margins, and that's because they're well marginalized.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Don't do that.
1: But they, have a conversation.
0: but they know that. And what's what's fascinating is that leftists, you know, philosophically believe in assisting the marginalized. Like that, that is their belief system from its core is that we need to look out for the marginalized. But when it comes to marginalized thought,
1: that it is. what's that? It's the lack of individualism is what it is. And we already know the morality of this. The greatest minority that you can assist is the individual. It's just a matter of somehow getting that line of thought to them. And then it doesn't matter if you're marginalized for ideas, color, whatever it is.
0: Mm-hmm. You're
1: still an individual. So it's just the same disconnect that we're trying to get through to them time and time again. And- I, no,
0: it is, but it's it's the reason that it's so concerning to me is that it, it actually goes against their stated, like their mission statement. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we are going to look out for the downtrodden and the and the uh, marginalized and it's just like well not them though <laughs> like they deserve the marginalization yeah. and we're going to make sure that their lives are hell i mean the the whole um, the list generating over the past week for anybody who donated to trump and anybody who uh, assists him in his his legal battles is that was just, scary it's really scary i mean that is that is like paul Grum, yeah. you know actual s you know communist shit like they are really they are really going that path and and yeah. they don't seem to have any problem with it like they don't even seem to notice the the historical cognate to to what we're
1: no, absolutely not and I think that that boils down to really one issue on the left I really think a lot of this boils down to this issue um which is this notion that they have instilled in them for whatever reason that words and dissenting thoughts are violent that they're violence that they can hurt them and now they're scared of it and they need to be protected and safe and coddled. And really, no matter what aspect of leftism you're looking at, you disagree with every single time, it's this idea that if you're not with me, you're hurting me. You're somehow hurting me by me saying, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't, I'm not commenting on it. But if I said all lives matter, somebody would say, you literally are killing minorities right now. No, no, I'm not. I just said three words, three (laughs) words that I don't actually agree with. I'm I'm actually with Black Lives Matter in a lot of ways. So, but it's this whole idea. And what that really goes back to is the way that this generation that promotes so much leftism is raised. And I know you did want to discuss this at some point, but um, we were very overprotected our generation as children. And so now whenever we run into any obstacle, anything we don't like, anything that makes us uncomfortable, we think we have to shut that down. Mm -hmm. We need a safe space where we can be comfortable all the time, both mentally and physically. And we're not ready to challenge anything or be challenged. And it's just we want this very soft, very easy way of life. And for most people of my generation, that means if it makes me uncomfortable, it needs to go away.
0: It's it's just such a dangerous way to, to handle things in life. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I, I listened on audiobook to uh, The Cuddling of the American Mind by, do you remember? Greg who
1: the, yeah, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. It's a phenomenal book.
0: Yeah, great book. Um, I, I just barely dodged the bullet on this one. I was born in '82. I um, you know I walked myself to and from school. I I played in the cul-de-sac until the sun went down, and sometimes after. And you know my, I was a latchkey kid. I let myself in. My parents basically were MIA, and it was fine. You know, like I functioned totally fine. I became extraordinarily independent very early on. Um, I assume that you had a different upbringing, but I'm I'm certain that your friends and your peer group did. Um, well, I yeah. guess just tell me tell me how how it occurred to you and and how that book struck home because for me it was it was like I was learning a lot whereas I'm sure you were just getting explanations for shit you actually witnessed.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it was like it was running through my life. Um, so you know, growing up, my parents were very hands off. Um, we I was always very independent, as was my younger brother. But even then, you're still going to feel the effects of this overparenting happening in your peers around you because you can't do things like just run out and find a kid to play with because. There's no kid to play with. If you run into a kid and want to go play a game, they have to go ask their parent. It's it's ridiculous. So thankfully I had my brother so we could go off and go on adventures and all of that jazz, but you know, the people around us couldn't. And it was interesting because, you know, as I aged and got older, it became, you know, kind of clear to me that there was something about them where, you know, you can't disagree politely you know, I was too young to really put it into those words, but you could feel that tension. You could feel that something's off. You can feel that the people around you don't like to be challenged. And even if you do your best to challenge yourself, you're still going to be affected by that mentality all around you. And then as soon as I hit college, it was like this little powder keg. It was like a powder keg in my brain of like trying to piece together why everybody around me was so fucking sensitive. And then I got to college and it just kind of clicked. I was like, they can't be uncomfortable. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And this book just made all of it make, make me feel so sane. I was like, oh, God, I really have witnessed this for 24 years. Awesome. I yeah, too. no, I had college. And it was things like we, um, we me and my YAL chapter and my student government that I was on, we tried to pass the Chicago principles, which, if you're not familiar, is this um, free speech policy that came out of Chicago University, one of the best universities in the country for free speech. Um, you can look to um, FIRE for more information, the Jonathan Heights organization. And it's essentially, or sorry, I misspoke. Uh, Greg Lukianos' organization, he runs it. And the, we tried to pass this bill and people were like, but what about the words that are violent? What? What? Words are violent. <laughs> I know. We should say anything so we can debate and learn and engage and grow. And everyone was like, no, Jesse, you're a fascist. I was like, okay.
0: Jesus Christ. <laughs> did, did, they, did, they really, did they really come I, at you like
1: that? Yes. So I wasn't super involved, uh, super directly involved in student government, but I did go out and collect signatures for it. And yes, on multiple occasions, I was called a fascist. I ended up getting, I think like a hundred signatures or something like that at the small university. It was called a multitude of horrendous names for it. And I, yeah, there was even pushback um, from people saying that it would be violent against LGBT people was the big thing because we had a school with a very significant pride club. Um, and I was like, "Guys, I'm bisexual." Like, <laughs> I'm not against you. I'm with you. Like, let yeah, me help. No,
0: you're self-hating by. I've I've that's, met many.
1: That's what it is. That's <laughs> what it is. Yeah, let me just go back in the closet over. there. No, it's like, I'm trying to help. And um it was just absolutely exhausting and you can only be called a fascist so many times before the word kind of starts to lose meaning to you. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, extreme repulsion to different different ideas is definitely um just completely destroying Public discourse.
0: Yeah, no, it is. and, and the, the, the misuse of words is really destroying the value of them because yeah. you know they, they call us racist and fascist and all these things when they behave more often than not far more racist and far more fascist than we do. And it's yeah. just like, man, it's it's tough. I, I, I continue to believe that really our only hope culturally is to kind of have, and I don't know what the impetus for it will be, but we need a a second renaissance, you know, we need a second enlightenment where, where we shake off these terrible concepts like free speech is violence and, and, um, Mm -hmm. kind of a, a re-embrace of classical liberalism. Do you have any, do you have any hope for that? I mean, you're younger, you seem more full of life than I do. Do you have any hope?
1: (laughs) I, I can't help but to hold out a little bit of hope. I, um, it's very easy to get bogged down by these ideas. Um, I gotta I say, you
0: you and Maggie have given me a lot of hope, so I appreciate you guys for that.
1: Well, oh, Maggie's my thing. Okay, great. Well, that, made, that makes me happy. I'll uh, tell you said so at brunch next time I see her. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I don't know if you've read Matt Ridley's The Rational Optimist, but that's a phenomenal book for this. Just basically, if you look at reality and you boil it all down, does it sometimes seem very doom and gloom? Yes, but at the end of the day, you know, is always going to prevail. And I think we have countless pieces of evidence that show that. Are we potentially in a dark period? Yes, but is it gonna be forever? No. Um, and there's another theory that I look to for a little gl- glimpse of positivity. And that is the um, Strauss-How generational theory, which is basically this concept that, um, and it's contested whether or not this is true, but I think it's a fun theory. So I'm gonna talk about it for a minute anyways. It's basically this concept that we go in cycles of four generations and each one has these different attributes and they've traced this all the way back to the 1400s going through these cycles of four generations. And then you get to a turning at the end where essentially you have a crisis.
0: Yeah. That is lasts it, up it, until
1: the next generation.
0: Is that the fourth turning concept?
1: Yes. Yeah, okay, it is. Yeah. So yeah. that would be my generation. We're the problem ones. We're the crisis. We're Gen Z. We're the fourth one, and then the next one will be the baby boomers again, and uh, we will have strong institutions and all of these different ideas that were put up in this book. Cool. Um, and so, I've got some hope.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the sad part of that is that the fourth turning is usually world war. <laughs> so, so
1: I think we'll avoid it.
0: Uh, do you? All right. Well, then you are. Know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, I was going to say you are much more optimistic than me. Um,
1: uh, well, it's fake. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, how, how did you find Maggie and how, how do you guys know each other? Is it all through YAL?
1: Um, well, I was, we actually didn't meet through YAL stuff. Funny enough, I just have a lot of friends at HQ. And then at some point we were talking and yeah, but well, cause we're all based out of the same city. So uh, I, I like the folks over at Yale HQ They're They're good people. I enjoy spending time with them. I
0: know. I like, honest to God, it makes me so just, Like gleeful that that you guys Exist like that there because Because I mean you were probably too young To even be super privy to it But I was big in the 08 you know kind of Ron Paul revolution and um, My dad my dad ran for Congress in the 90s as a libertarian so I'm kind of I'm a second generation -er. or But it After the 08 and then the 12 Was kind of like our big push and it Was like okay by 16 like We got a real shot here like it was like it was just up and up and up. And then we fucking run Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. And then we run Joe Jorgensen and it's just like, uh, my life, like my, my soul got sucked out of me. And all of our, all of our momentum uh, was kind of uh, taken over by nationalist populism. And it's just so, it's so, I don't know, just makes you feel yeah. hopeless. But it, when I, when I see guys like you or gals like you at, you know, in their early twenties that somehow have con, come to the same philosophy so early on and you're actually fucking doing something about it like that's the <laughs> other thing that my generation didn't do a very good job about is that they weren't really involved a lot of the yahoos got involved and now it seems like really smart actually high functioning people are getting involved at a young age and i'm like holy shit what a miracle i, I don't know I, how did you guys how did you guys come to be how can we create more of you is what i'm asking
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly, that's a big part of why I chose the field that I chose, Um, even though I didn't come to these ideas through movies and TV, I think that by continuing to make it, I I mean, culture, pop culture is like the biggest, I think, equalizer in, in the culture war, you know, so if we can just get one pop culture slogan, one thing that everybody sees, one thing that has a giant audience. Like I just, I just feel like it all has to do with how we message the ideas and how to effectively do it and reach the broadest audience. Mm -hmm. So they take the electoral route. That's fine. I'm going to keep fighting the culture war here at Emergent Order. And it is what it is.
0: And we'll we'll meet you on the other side. Well that's that's all great info. Do you have anything else you'd like to add?
1: Oh yeah, um, if you guys want to listen to the podcast that I produce, it's called the Emergent Order Podcast. It's hosted by Emergent Order CEO and film director, John Popola. It's a great listen, I'd highly recommend it. Also uh, follow me on Twitter.
0: How'd you, how'd you learn how to do uh, podcast production?
1: Oh, uh, I am a music school dropout, but I was in for audio engineering. So I uh, sort of transitioned from music over to film side of things. So on top of my other roles at Emergent Order, I'm also the in-house audio engineer.
0: Nice. Well, I, I need a audio engineer, so I'm, I might DM you for some tips. But no um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, lastly, because you are the the uh, you're the punk in the group, how how does it how does it feel having punk be affiliated with support of you know the cathedral? Like it I,
1: hurts. How, it
0: hurts. How how is it even how is it even possible that people that find themselves to be counterculture are you know, they're getting patted on the back by Chase Bank. Like, I don't,
1: how how do they not realize? Johnny Ramone, that's what we need. No, it's a fucking disaster, honest to God. I blame the record labels and like this whole, there's a thousand places that you could look to as far as why punk has become that way. But at the end of the day, the music industry, Needs to make money, and there's more money to be made by pushing these giant narratives that you already know a bunch of people are going to agree with. There's not money to be made off of being controversial at this point in history. But, yeah, that's but the I thing, though. That's that, a hope, though. For it to that, come back,
0: that that is that is the cultural root of it, though. Because see, the thing is, in the '90s, there was an entire generation of kids like me that were that really wanted um, aggressively anti-establishment shit, and now these okay. kids, these kids have been so coddled that they they want their their rage to be against, you know, just one slightly shade different of the, you know, the cathedral, as as opposed to wanting the cathedral.
1: You can say, oh, I'm angry at this, and I'm right to be angry to this, but that's what it is. They're so similar that they can't be so mad that they're uncomfortable. It's still all about this emotional sense of safety that is complete bullshit, and I fully believe that we will get back anti-authoritarian punk. It's going to happen.
0: Oh, man. I hope. well, well, when, when you hear the uh, the intro to my show, you'll hear you'll hear me rapping. So I <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing my part, and I and I actually am uh, I, I am truly anti-establishment. So I'm not punk. I'm a white rapper, which that's pretty fucking unpopular. So uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, make sure you guys follow. It is at Jesse J E S S I N I C O L E. Be like boy, but she is not a girl, not a boy. She is Jesse the ANCAP cap. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for
0: having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I'll get this up tonight and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. Bye. Peace. If you love this show like I know you do, how about you leave a five-star review on iTunes, boo-boo? Thank you. Leave your handle and I will shout you out on next week's show. You the best. We out.